0: Hey everybody, welcome to Blessed Child. We will continue the conversation from the episode, The Everlasting Gobstopper. And this episode is called, Your Genitals Are Not Your Own. And with that, I will give a serious trigger warning for sexual assault, sexual violence, grooming, and human trafficking. If you've been consuming these podcasts and you feel extremely validated in your experience, that's awesome. But if you're consuming these podcasts and you're feeling sick to your stomach or a lot of anxiety, I want to take a second to pause and encourage you to take care of yourself. And what that means is please prioritize your body's needs first and foremost. Uh, Make sure you're hydrated, you're nourished, you're comfortable, you might want to indulge in some self-care while you're listening to this podcast. Um, Go for a walk. I like to clean when I listen to stressful things or a whole bunch of things. Make some art, dance, whatever you do to self-care, you might want to do that. This episode isn't easy to listen to. It was extremely difficult to have to talk about these things and I commend the brave survivors for being able to open up these old wounds and bring new light. And um, sometimes the hardest conversations to have are the ones that are most needed to be heard. And I think that's what we're doing here for some survivors of purity culture in the unification church. You are not alone and please take care of yourself. With that, we're going to start the panel. Your genitals are not your own. Here we go.
1: I have a question for you US people. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever we had a workshop that was longer, uh, longer than a couple of, like, like whenever we had a workshop that was longer than a week, by the end of it, we would have like kind of a disco situation happening and we called it a rock out. So some older harpies would play music and then we would dance to it, but they would specifically instruct the women <laughs> Not to do the snake dance, quote unquote, (laughs) Um, which is just, you know, shaking your hips suggestively. But um, I remember trying not to dance with my hips. And it's hard, man. It's so hard. So I basically ended up headbanging because I was a metal then There was a lot of rock happening. So that was my (laughs) way of doing the snake dance in front of the brothers. Wait, was it because of Satan being a snake? (laughs) No, don't it's do just doing snaky movements with your snaky <laughs> snake body. I don't know what they were thinking.
0: Holy shit. No, I I don't ever remember dancing in my workshops. I think America was super puritanical and like, no
2: so, dancing. So, so. There was one super- workshop once that we had like a, like a dance party at the end, but Fine. that was- <laughs> um,
0: Becca, I remember pillow fights and like people would put rocks in their pillows and fuck people up. Like, I remember that was bad. So, uh,
3: that was wait, 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 Wh- what? <laughs> what?
1: <laughs> what? What was that? <laughs> Please, Please tell me more. This sounds like, ridiculous. What?
0: At the end of like Camp Sunrise workshops, there'd be like, a, like impromptu <laughs> pillow fights. Do you guys not remember that?
2: Okay. I remember oh, no.
0: One year, some motherfucker put rocks in his pillowcase and people were getting like blacked out eyes and bloody noses. (laughs) And like this perpetrator was like in a crowd of kids just with pillows. And we never found out who it was, I don't think. But yeah, it's pretty traumatizing.
4: (laughs) um, Oh my God. I was gonna say,
3: I do remember one One Heart Camp or it might've been a series of One Heart Camps, but they started doing what they called Joy Breaks. Which were like in between uh, yeah. transitioning from one lecture to another, or from one activity, they would have yes. they would play music and you would dance. But like you know, the girls are on this side, the boys are on this side, and yeah. like definitely if you had like a body, you would be shamed into dancing like more conservatively.
0: Um, Is that why I can't shake my hips like Shakira? (laughs) I'm a freaking robot. Like I can't. I have no connection. Like Becca, what you said with my hips, and I think that was part of purity culture. I don't know if this happened. Talking about hips, um, I actually after childbirth, I had well, not after childbirth, accentuated my issue, but I had hip instability where my hip. My femurs would slip out of my hip joints and lock up and I couldn't walk. When I went to the physical therapist, they're like, why is your hip? This is we we don't know what this is. We're going to call it hip instability because your muscles around your hip joints are severely underdeveloped. And I, I don't know what's going on, but we'll give you some exercises, basically not engaging with my hips or my core or my pelvic area, I think from purity culture relate resulted in, I think you've got a
2: point. I, um, I had a birth injury where I actually suffered from a separated uh, pelvis. Um, and I couldn't walk for six months, like independently for six months afterwards. Um, like I, I, um, I fortunately had a friend who was like a physiotherapist who specialized in like the pelvic region. And so, so she was able to like, Help me t- in my recovery, Um, but also like I remember before that I did like prenatal Pilates, and like, I remember being like I don't even know what my core is like mm. I'm so disconnected. Oh from, like, my god! What even is my core like? Yeah, just like oh.
0: Uh, oh, you I- bring that up the yeah. the yoga I did group yoga with a bunch of women, and they were doing this like pelvic pose for your for your hips and pelvis, and like everybody was doing it just fine, but I could barely. Do the position and hold it, and I'm pretty athletic, but I could not keep up with this one exercise, and that's when it really like drove home that I have like a weakness in my core and pelvic area, which I contribute to purity culture. I think um, yeah,
2: psychosomatic. Like I it's mean, I, right? Like I I know you know people. I think I've talked with you, Renee, but like the vaginismus or like mm-hmm. those like erectile dysfunction, like people,
0: clitoral who, atrophy.
2: You yeah. <laughs> know. Yeah. Oh, that's what you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Say that again. Explain what that is. Clitoral atrophy is when the clitoris atrophies from lack of stimulation and shrinks in size and becomes desensitized. (laughs) It's a real thing. If you like don't stimulate and masturbate your clitoris enough, it can literally get lack of circulation and
1: shrink. Do you hear that, girls? Do (laughs) you hear this? Please, please, please masturbate please for the love of god stimulate your clitoris
2: so renee you were saying it is completely like reversible oh but- thank
0: god yeah it doesn't die it shrinks um and and just like anything that needs improved blood flow you need to play with it and it it can fluff up again <laughs> these yeah. are like real injuries, and, and like, these are real injuries of purity culture that i've experienced um I, because once yeah once i did the p- physical therapy and stre- strengthened the core muscles and re-engage them they're good they're not weakening now that they it's like a, a vital part of your body once you engage you were like have-
2: cut off like psychologically cut off from that whole region because it's like it was so shamed it was so don't do this snake dance ladies
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that kind of goes back to the book you were reading victoria um I think trauma lives in the body and like, yes, and it and, and it can be shaken out with dance and, and stretching, performance arts, stretching, mm-hmm. singing, the body keeps score. That's a good book. book. Yes, I thought absolutely. that was an amazing book. First of all, I so highly relate to veterans, I think, as a survivor of the Unification Church, like just because of the amount of trauma. And then they have these words like moral injury and um, CPTSD, which is chronic. Post-traumatic stress disorder. A complex. 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 complex yeah. That's right. But like all of these things, like really overlap with veterans of war, and yeah. so they haven't really studied. It was a cultics. spiritual war. Yeah. 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 Right. We're soldiers. So no that's that, that true. <laughs> Emotional. <laughs> they studied that group and have come up with like real, real things that work like singing, dancing, performing arts helps release trauma, humming, anything stimulating the Mm. vagus nerve in your neck, like a cold ice pack to the neck. That's what I got out of that book. And I was so shocked that performative arts was like a way to release trauma in the body. Because like, Mm. what did they say, you have to shake it out. It's like, you can't just keep it in there, it has to shake its way out, or else it's going to stay in your nervous system kind of bouncing
3: around, messing things up. Yeah, massage is also huge. I, if you've ever had like a good bodywork session, like it can really move out like trapped emotion. Wow!
2: I, I had the fortune of living in Thailand for five years, um, so I got regular massages because it was just, <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> wow!
0: I would say I think I had CPTSD, but like after coming up with the language and connecting with so many of of you guys and like really like validating the experiences, like. I am not experiencing like the night terrors as bad or the sleep paralysis or like the panic attacks. Um, Cause like I was living, you know, we didn't have all this language or this connection for ex-moonies even five years ago. So years ago, actually probably 10 years ago was the worst when I was having these anxiety attacks. And like, I, I think I'm actually recovering from it because I, it's not happening all that much anymore. Just with the language and the validation and like realizing like how strong we are for even surviving, like sure. Our body compartmentalized, and we have these certain traumas, but we're still here. And that that's, that's powerful. It's like our body did what it had to do to survive, to make it to now. And I'm trying to reframe all this stuff. And I think it's something you can heal for sure.
4: Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Um, That you can actually share that you're healing from it um but i i mean i remember reading in the beginning that it's like cptsd is something that's you know not you're not born with it it's it happens from trauma it happens over environmental um factors relationships that you had and traumas that you've experienced so it's totally reversible you know just unpacking things um, for sure i think the biggest thing in that book for me was the the affirmations um, that I, I bought the audiobook so that I could just listen to them actually, when I feel like I need to. And I just have it like easily accessible. Yeah, definitely just trying to revisit, I would just say the most valuable thing was trying to recognize when you're in something like an emotional flashback, which is basically re-experiencing um, emotions from your past, or your childhood, where you were traumatized or you were neglected, something happened to you, and you're re experiencing that same level of fear, the same level of basically hypervigilance and fear of that um, moment, but it's yeah. not happening to you in that moment. It's really important to recognize that um, those when you feel that way, you, there's a way to get, you know, to calm yourself down. Um, you can stretch you can use affirmations you can there's so many great things in that book to help you manage those symptoms for sure
0: it's really powerful just to give you an example cuz these words might slip over people that are listening like mm-hmm. that doesn't happen to me but yeah for an example like even with my husband um with purity culture i love my husband i love spending time with him i love doing everything with him he's my best friend but if he wants a kiss i i start feeling this immense like guilt almost pain like, why are you coming to take this from me? Like, I, 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 this isn't something that I can do. I can't engage in this. Um, and I know that that's my purity culture filter, filter, because like, I just, I love hanging out with you. And I know that I have replaced the ability to be intimate with fear and shame. And the Unification Church took that from me, but I can take it back. And so, an active reframe for me when I have that is first of all, do I want to do this? Yes. Okay. If that's the answer yes then let's reframe it instead of him taking something from me he's not taking a kiss he's meeting me with his lips and he's giving me intimacy and an opportunity to feel joy and i'm like holy shit so once i do this reframe this is all in the matter of seconds this is a real life example because this is something i'm i do battle is the inability to be intimate because that's the core of it is that i don't know how to be intimate and i i understand that i can register that but i can teach myself that it's okay to f- and and instead of feeling anger and anxiety oh so much anxiety instead of that you yes. can f- it. change the filter instead of like fear and shame i do still like have this lingering like purity culture filter i can register it as something that was put in me but it's not me it's like a foreign body it's yeah. like a it's like these glasses i can't always take off but if I am aware that I'm looking at life through the shade that they gave me I can at least actively reframe ch- change it and and, and experience intimacy because it's such a beautiful thing that I'm trying to practice because it feels really nice and it doesn't always have to feel so scary
2: um I yeah. also have this reflexive like <laughs> 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 That's way, like get away from me <laughs> Yes. It's <laughs> <Fantastic. laughs> yeah. like, oh, I don't, I don't want that. But it's like, and then like when I catch myself and like calm myself down, then I can like be receptive. But it's like it's such an ingrained like reflex. And it's awful. It is. <laughs> I mean, I I, yeah. I I am aware of it and I I'm like, okay, it's it's not you, it's like my trauma. Um <laughs> yeah,
0: it's a reflex. That's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. Like,
2: get away from me, everybody's it's- gonna look at me, spirit world's it's gonna come down and it's it's like <laughs> like th- This is dangerous. Yeah. Something like you, like deep, deep, deep down inside and you're like, you know, nervous system, like you, you feel danger from intimacy. <laughs> wow.
4: Yeah. I mean, and I definitely, for me, I, I feel the same way. Um, I definitely have that reflex as well. Even, you know, when it comes to, we could be like, you know, wanting to have sex and like get everything leading up to that point was okay, but suddenly, boom, reflex. I don't, you know, I just, like, shut down. My body would just shut down um, for sure, yeah, and I think that for me, like, I can really remember just those flashback moments of where even just the the words came and entered my brain about, like, this is bad, this is wrong, like, the education that we receive that I I'm sorry that I got at, um, you know, workshops growing up, like, you know, you can't let guys like, like, I don't know, learning things like guys and girls, you know, can't touch or like hug even, Um, which for me might have been a little more extreme, like some people might have been allowed to. But I remember like specifically my dad pulling me aside at a camp um, when I was like 11 or 12 saying bye to some of my friends who were boys and I hugged them goodbye and he like you know was like you can't do that you can't you can't hug boys like (laughs) um I'm just like friends with these guys you know I didn't even have a crush on them but it's like um so so damaging so damaging
3: yeah
4: even I remember the earliest purity culture moment for me I must have been like three years old Because even younger, possibly, because it's like my earliest memory is um, having a couple of other Mooney kids at our house. My mom was like watching them and we were all playing. And there was one boy my age, I'm younger, so I guess there's only like two, of you know, there's a bunch of older kids. And then we were like the two younger kids. So it was just us two playing and like, I don't remember anymore if I said it or he said it but maybe I said it and I was like, I'm gonna marry you one day. (laughs) And my mom or dad (laughs) it was so innocent. And I just remember thinking like, I just really like him. Like, he's my friend. Like, yeah, like, this
2: is,
4: (laughs) you know, and there's no concept of marriage or like, sexuality at that age. Or maybe it's just forming, you know, Um, there's just there's no concept about anything promiscuous. (laughs) But I remember getting in trouble and then, you know, flash forward either the same day or another day soon after that. um, Just my dad coming and telling me that, you know, true parents are going to find a good match for you. And I'm like, wait, I don't have a say. I don't have a say in this at all. You know, just completely Mm. losing my own. Just, I, I, I remember that so clearly. Like those are my earliest memories is just feeling that loss of like, you know, I have no say in my life, basically <laughs> in my life partner.
0: Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. So I wanted to pause that and really digest what Victoria said is basically, and I think this leads up to the lack of trust with self body agency and body ownership, stifling curiosity about about sexuality and about like these games that you play as a kid to i'm gonna marry you you know these are these are play but they're very crucial in the development of a human so stifling this this fun play even if it's like i don't know leading up to sexual play is it leads to a lack of body autonomy and a lack of self-trust and a lot of a lot of lack of agency and so when you get down the road you keep stifling these these playful things that lead up to consent and knowing what consent is, that is why we are talking about it. We're not talking about all this stuff for entertainment or trauma dumping or just beating a dead horse. We're actually talking about this stuff to connect, to change, to grow and to reflect. And I think it's extremely powerful what Victoria just said and I think it should not be forgotten. These are very important steps that a child needs to go through to develop. And if you stop them from having these playful experiences, then you are stripping them of their agency and you're stripping them of their self-trust.
1: And that is not okay.
0: Does this
1: not also circle back to this weird concept of virginity that Mm -hmm. is so, like there's such a high value and emphasis on a girl's virginity. Mm -hmm. And it kind of, fetishizes and sexualizes children yes. with vulvas and it also kind of helps commodifying people with yes. vulvas and vaginas absolutely. it makes them way more like objectified and it dehumanizes them way yeah. more than people with penises
2: absolutely
0: I mean people have been inspected for that little
1: boy yeah. And, and I was just wondering if that little boy, I mean, there's probably no way, Victoria, to like check up on it. But like, I wonder if the boy got the same talk as you did. Yeah, I wonder
3: if he did.
4: Oh. I wonder if he was also a to about it. Yeah.
3: What a shame to have like these intense injuries surrounding sexuality in our bodies, which are like designed to be like sources of pleasure and joy and exploration. I talk about this a lot with my partner, how um, kind of coming into my queerness and my gender has been this kind of unearthing process. And I imagine a lot, especially for you guys that have kids of people that are raising their kids outside the church and trying to create like a sex positive, body positive, holistic environment, how we kind of have to do that for ourselves in adulthood as well. Like reframe what we've experienced and rewire our brain circuits in order to experience real pleasure and like decouple the shame. Um, and like, we can still have that expansive, beautiful expression of sexuality, but like to have that as a kid, like, it's really sad thinking about this whole generation of people who are completely like separated, disassociated from their bodies and their sexuality when it's this expansive, creative, awesome thing that we all get to like do. Yeah. Yeah.
2: What it makes me think of is just how much we weren't given any agency over ourselves like I mean I remember like speeches from Reverend Moon about how our sexual organs or love yeah. organs return them like belong to our spouse right I don't know if you guys remember that but like it's like it yeah. literally just didn't even belong to you you know um and you're you misusing your sexual organs if you do anything that isn't like you know given or your given, partner yeah but like blessed under this <laughs> this very specific like ceremony or whatever like given given like the the green light or whatever but yeah
1: it, it was just yeah. like
2: you feel you belo- you own you had a right to anything
4: <laughs> yeah I it just made me think of like The only other organizations that would tell you that you're or tell kids that their genitals belong to someone else would be like human trafficking (laughs) organizations or like, you know, like, how is that a normal thing to tell a child that they're, you know, their genitals belong to somebody else? Mm -hmm. You know, you just grow up thinking that it's not for yourself.
0: When in fact it is, it's your body.
2: Your body is not your own. Your sexuality is
0: not your own. Mm -hmm. I mean, what you just said is like the the perfect summary of why this is a sex trafficking criminal organization. Like we all grew up hearing our genitals are not our own. By Reverend Moon, this like rapist, old, perverted, megalomate. Like he is a rapist. There's documented history of him being like raping a girl in Korea. So it's not like he's just some old man saying like, this is, I didn't even think about that fact that they literally boldface told us our genitals are not our own, your sexual organs or whatever you want to call it are not for you. Who says that?
4: Yeah.
1: Like and sex I, sometimes,
4: <laughs> I sometimes wonder about like, you know, church members. I don't know if you guys experienced this, but maybe first gen trying to sound like they're sex positive because Reverend Moon talks about the sexual organs, but it's just in such a... It, such she a talks word about word. sex <laughs> to program you into right. just being controlled. Yeah. It's just so not sex positive or
1: healthy in any way. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, can I bring up how maybe it, it will shift gears a little bit, but um, I think it's all in the same vein, <laughs> in the same... Like cloud of problems um, that people that identify female or that have vaginas and vulvas are shamed for their sex drives, and oh, yeah. people with penises are encouraged for their sex drive. And um, I mean that also applies to society in general in the West, I think. But um, like, if you have a vagina and a more like higher than average sex drive you are being looked at weirdly and also the opposite like if you have a penis and your sex drive isn't high or like people that are asexual or gray sexual or demisexual like they are looked at weird then right um did you guys experience any any of that because my sex drive like full disclosure is very high <laughs> and I always felt like <laughs> I'm I'm weird for that or like I'm yeah
0: That's awesome, Becca. Yeah, I think, well, I I identified as asexual for a little while. So I'm glad we have all of us on this panel, because that's the full, that's a full scale. We've got, you know, healthy sex drives, hypersexual, asexual. Uh, (laughs) I I think I'm bisexual. (laughs) Bisexual. Yeah, we got it. We got it all here. I think in society, and this applies to cults. This is one of Cult rules 101 is if you can control someone's sexuality, you can in turn control them. Uh, And I think that's very, very real. That's why it was just hyper focus on sex and controlling sex because as we've seen, everything else unravels when you control someone's sexual identity. But I think in society in general, I think there is a construct that is grabbing onto sexuality and trying to control it um, for sure. And I I don't know any more than that. Then it's just like, it's, it's really easy to... Heard people when you can shame them with sexuality because everybody has it
2: I think yeah that that sense of agency and that sense of empowerment like knowing yourself and being actually in tune with your your like desires and 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 also having boundaries like being able to say when you're not comfortable or like what what not like I don't know about like yeah but I, I just do I think all the conditioning does mess you up and I don't know about like other people's sense of like in, in a relationship, whether, okay, I can just talk about myself, I guess. Um, (laughs) um, For me, I I got blessed in the church and um, I didn't know uh, my husband and I didn't want to know him (laughs) for a good while. Um, But I eventually was like, okay, well, I've been quote unquote, like blessed him for like four years. I guess I should get to know him or give this a chance. And I went to korea um and i really had like zero plans to like make it work um because i just i wasn't gonna force myself at that point in my life i was finally like had a certain sense of like i'm not gonna force it if it doesn't work it doesn't work i'm not gonna i'm not gonna jump over hoops and stuff um but then it ended up that actually i did end up liking him um and so like in our relationship it's always been very much like i was very clear from the get-go like I'm only going to be myself and I'm not going to do anything I don't want to do um but like I I wonder in other people's relationships if they did go through the blessing or whatever like did they feel a sense of obligation that they had to have sex with their partner you know whoever their their spouse I quote unquote and how damaging that was likely for you know for the relationship and but I don't know. I can't speculate. I mean, I'm just speculating. I have no idea. Yeah.
0: I think we would see that with our parents. Um, definitely more. It's like
2: the three day ceremony where you like yeah. had to have sex with like somebody who was often practically a stranger.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think we would see that with our, our parents. And I'm, I'm hoping to interview my mom for those podcasts to get that, my stepmom for that. So, I think we could get that perspective a little bit better from her, but it definitely happens. Like, I can confirm that it definitely happened. Um, and I'm so glad that you, it sounds like, in your blessing situation, you really made a choice. Like, you, you initially no, but <laughs> uh, no, uh, initially, no, it was coercive, but like, at a certain point, when you find yourself in a situation. Like it's either you're going to be miserable and living in cognitive dissonance or you're going to choose to make it work. And I think at some point you have to always choose in every situation. You either are going to choose to
2: make it work, but choose what you are going to make of it, of the situation, whether you're going to decide not to work on it or or decide that actually this is what I want or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. There's still like the... that that like reflexive (laughs) like ah intimacy
0: (laughs) oh god yeah i can imagine like no yeah (laughs) ingrained (laughs) yeah
3: have you guys found ways to like embrace intimacy i can i can share um i kind of want to go back to becca's question about like policing of like hypersexuality and i just um was thinking about how long i spent at camps like a girl would give me a hug and i would have like this intense like fear of being found out um as queer and like shaming and shutting down those feelings that like once i was in a relationship that was like open out it was like incredibly hard not to feel shame and it's like public shame about like expressing affection to this person um like i really didn't want anyone to find me out like it was so much hypervigilance instilled and then it like made me vulnerable to abusers and people who were like oh they won't tell basically they're not going to expose what I did to them because um they have all this shame and they're keeping it on lock um and like the church programs you to like expect things in relationship and like your behavior automatically like skews toward that direction and you excuse what's happening um like at one point someone assaulted me and I developed a crush on them after the fact. Cause I was like, if I want, if I, if I like this person, it's okay. It's not assaults. Um, and like, that doesn't have to do with the church, but it's still like the root is there. Wow. Oh my gosh.
4: That, ha- that happened to it- me too. Yeah. So yeah, no, I, I was assaulted by someone who I worked with, so I knew them personally. And no the same thing happened to me as well i felt like well maybe if i try to you know maybe if i you know try to date them or something like maybe it'll be okay like maybe i'll be okay but you know that that ended um but i just wanted to say that it's not just you that happened to me too
1: yeah yeah me three mm-hmm. yeah yeah like i, I didn't mean- even realize that i was assaulted for months like maybe maybe two months, like while it was happening, I knew that it was happening, but then right after I was just like offering this person cake and shit like that.
0: I find I mean, I find that really interesting because I mean, yes, it happened to me too in the in the church and the leaders told me to forgive this guy and to give him a chance and to restore the brother sister relationship. But you guys did that Because it was ingrained in you, like as a survival method of purity culture. And so people don't have to reinforce this because this is the culture of shame and guilting women that we naturally do that to ourselves and in a way silence it and probably happening to a lot of people. And it, it sucks because you don't have that communication with yourself that it's assault as it's happening and you're giving them cake because... You can make up for it, you can restore it if you refra- you know reframe it better then it's okay. I'm sorry that uh, thank you all for sharing that. and is there anything that helped you what what helped you realize that wasn't okay? and that yeah, what helped you realize that it wasn't okay? Um, my assault was violent, so I knew it wasn't okay. And I tried to advocate, but everybody told me to forgive him. Um, And it's okay not to forgive the person. Um, But what you need to do is to fix that relationship with your body. That's the number one important thing. I think after listening to all these assault stories, it's really not about the perpetrator. It's about you and yourself and how to like come back into a safe place. I feel like in yourself, Um, if you guys want to share on that.
4: Yeah, for for me, I was assaulted actually again recently <clears throat> or soon after, but in a less violent way. And after a couple months, I processed what had happened to me in that it, you know, um the first time it's like okay, that was assault, you know. Um what led to me processing that it was um was kind of hard. It's kind of hard for me to define right now. But I would say that um, meeting someone who is okay with, like, just, you know, very, very courteous, like, just, I met someone else who was like, just, you know, okay, like, you're only comfortable with this, like, that's fine. Like, we're just going to do whatever you're comfortable as like a normal, you know, real, (laughs) as it should be in, um, you know, relationship between two people just doing whatever you're comfortable with, just that helped me a lot. But I had, I been able to change anything. I wish I could have went to therapy um, just to have some support, but, um, Oh, you know, what actually really helped me was was talking to a friend about it and talking to actually eventually like another girl who had been assaulted about it and me realizing through her story that I was, you know, assaulted twice there sorry that I'm a little bit all over the place but yeah I I would say that if you have someone close to you that you can share that with that's that's a good thing if you can get access to therapy that is definitely um a great approach to take because it's definitely something that you know it's nothing to be ashamed nothing to be ashamed of And it's absolutely okay to to ask for help from people.
1: I realized what happened right away. Then I pushed it aside for like one and a half months, pretending that it was fine. And then I waited the six months, uh, the six weeks to get a reliable STI test. So I went to my gynecologist and I told her. And she got really, really mad for me <laughs> which then I felt like this person who knows me fleetingly is mad on my behalf why am I not mad what is wrong with me so then I realized yeah I have all the rights to be mad and yeah so then of course you know luckily all the tests came back negative and then I told friends and I I don't know if I know any any female identifying or people with vulva that have not been assaulted in any way, shape, or form. So, like, I have a functioning support group basically um, consisting of my female identifying or um, femme or assigned um, female at birth friends. And I was dating a um, trans masculine person at that time. And they, I, I met this guy off of Tinder. And so, um, they contacted Tinder for me. And um, so then Tinder contacted me and I sent them screenshots and everything, but like nothing came out of it. But I don't think that's the point even. Like you said, Ren, you need to restore your relationship with your body as a survivor in order to, you know, just Mm -hmm. move past this somehow. Oh,
0: yeah. I think it's important
1: You know, a lot of people probably
0: don't understand consent if you were raised in the church or raised in a church in general, the idea of consent. And I think that that was what was lacking when the assault happened to me is that I didn't understand that no means like initially the fear and the not wanting to do. It, Reverend Moon talked about sex a lot and told women what to do to be performative, to, you know, do all these things to satisfy your genitals are not your own. We were groomed from a young age to be giving of ourselves with all the pretty words, but really to be groomed for trafficking. And um, if you're in the church, your your, your inner voice with what, what is not okay is probably really, really quiet. And so something that can help you get a louder voice and recognize assault when it's happening is that if you feel scared or if you feel like this is something you're not supposed to be doing not because of fear and shame and guilt but because it's that's a that's a small that's a thin line across but there is a, a point where sex can be damaging because Either you're not connected to this person or you feel like you're being taken advantage of. I don't know what ways to break it down enough that somebody could register assault is happening when it's happening, but it sounds like from the pattern that I'm seeing, it's definitely an issue is that we don't understand consent. We don't understand intimacy. We don't understand sexual assault, and that's super dangerous, but consent is um, freely given information and a knowledgeable agreement. I think it's done while sex- you're
3: sober. Just want to say that because- yes. I was not sober at the time and I was still saying no repetitively. Like I had a partner. So I was saying, I have a girlfriend. I don't want to do this with you. And the person just kept going. Um, and, uh, I think the hardest part for me was my partner shamed me for what happened was like, you cheated on me. And it was like, no, I was drunk. This person was, I was incapable of standing up. Like you can't consent to anything if you cannot stand up. Um, And um, for me, it really took being told this also goes for like, sexual experiences I had as a child that I coded as traumatic, like, being told that I wasn't targeted, or like, I didn't seek those out. um, And it wasn't my fault was like the biggest thing, like you weren't targeted, or you're not queer, because you were targeted, you were targeted because you're queer. And like, every person who's ever assaulted me has been a woman, like, It's not just men that are capable of inflicting harm on others. And we all have to like be very careful about how we interact, especially sexually, but like ask people for consent before you hug them. Like, it's not, it's not something we were ever trained to do or like taught about like how to negotiate those boundaries.
0: Yeah. That starts young with, with your kids. Like, do you want to give a hug to uncle, whatever, or you don't have to instead of go give a hug, like it starts young.
2: Body autonomy,
0: like- yeah. Body autonomy, yeah. And we were told our genitals are not our own from a young age. So why should so- the
1: rest of the body, like you know, it's right. The genitals around. are attached to your body, so why should the rest of your body be your own? Wow.
2: And even if so, like we were told to like essentially like dominate our body all- through not sleeping, through not eating, through like you know just all these other forms of course also not having sex or even thinking about anybody in a way like in a way that's like a like any Uh. attraction right you weren't allowed to feel or want anything.
0: (laughs) when you say like the deny your body food deny your body sleep deny your body nutrition these things it also flashes back when I was being assaulted, like, de- deny your body's pain, deny your body's autonomy, none of it matters, I've practiced so much, I've practiced so much disconnection that maybe it doesn't matter, but then that secondary injury of, like, being blamed for it or not being validated or um, had secondary emotional injury from society just, like, shitting on you when you're in the worst place ever, when you feel like your soul has already been ripped out of your body because you've been... Severely violated, you know that 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 feeling, and then it just like they just hammer it in with the like the injustice of society. I think the injury that hurts the most that I still carry and harp on is how everybody else reacted when I told them, and how they shamed me for the assault. I think that's the that's the part I can't heal from. I don't know if I can uh, or when. I hope I can, because I think that actually hurts more. Yeah, like like uh, what Misuk said in the last um, episode, kind of been staying with me all week, that secondary injury, from shame, from shame that it happened. But like your value and your worth is not different. It's not yeah. less, not at all.
1: But I think yeah. you have to learn that, right? It's not something that, you know, you have to tell yourself again and again and again because we grew up with
2: otherwise your
1: worth is so entwined with your purity like Mm -hmm. if that's not there anymore then you're nothing you have to rebuild it by yourself basically
0: yeah wow (laughs) i find i'm finding ways to build my worth after all of that bullshit um let's see focusing on myself not worrying about living for the sake of others (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> building up my own skills and financial freedom and stability in my family. Those are all things that have helped me, especially, you know, having kids was a huge recovery for me. Now that's not for everybody. Um, but that's what I found was pretty awesome.
2: And for me, it kind of opened up all the stuff that I had buried.
0: <laughs> having kids. <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: like, then, and then you like see what, What was wrong? Like I wouldn't do that to my child. (laughs) Oh, how
0: nonsensical our
2: parents were! Yeah, Yeah. and it's like, wait, I can't believe (laughs) these things put on me. You know, like yeah, like my
0: kids are kids. Not even in kindergarten, but they explore their sexual sexual anatomy and they ask questions and they get little boners because they're kids and that's what happens with kids and. There's no way in hell I'd be like, oh, you're going to hell for that. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) That's totally normal. (laughs) Why would anybody like be like, oh, the spirit world's watching you all the time. Like, what? Why shame them for bodily functions that they can't control? Like, what is that? I would never do that. Also, Uh,
2: just like uh, the idea of like prescribing, like this is your life course and you must do things this way, you know? Um, Oh, yeah. For my daughter she's expressed multiple times that she does doesn't ever want to get married and fine like who cares like that's your choice like why would I like force her to get married to somebody that she like has no no choice over and like and if she doesn't she's I a deep disappointed to me and going to hell or something you know like why would you put that on a child (laughs)
0: I've cried for seven days and ask God why like I remember hearing that so many times I've cried I've been on a seven-day condition and now I can speak with you about this thing and it's been eating me up because you're not listening and going the life course or
3: something did you guys hear that a lot my yes. mom loves to tell all of us all of her kids that she is a failure because none of us are in the church oh. or none of us got blessed <laughs> But, like, they, their word was also tied to, like, our sexual purity. Like, they get yeah. into heaven by us completing the blessing. Wow, you're right. Yeah, the seven
0: generations of blessed children uh, and family. That is families.
1: so insidious. Yeah, I didn't know that. Crazy. I didn't know, like, that is, on so many levels, manipulative. Like, it yeah. forces, it basically forces your parents to force you back to church. Mm-hmm because their lives depend on it basically yeah i think yes. a lot of people with
3: hardcore parents are afraid to let their parents know like what they're doing with their life and like there's they have to be separate because like they can't trust that their parents aren't going to come and try to kidnap them again and reindoctrinate them yeah we were just a ticket to heaven
0: like a commodity like have you ever noticed like when it's your birthday your parents don't like make it any big deal about it or like they never come around on their own because they want to see you. I mean, my in my in my situation, like I live a couple blocks down the road. I think my dad visited a handful of times when I had my kids. Like, not even curious about his grandkids because we're not in the church. Maybe I don't know. Maybe just just narcissistic, <laughs> and uh, always made it about them. Like the enmeshed family thing. Like it's always about the parents. Even us getting married was about them, not about us.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah when I started dating for the first time and I told my parents about it, um, I mean, I hadn't been living with them already for a few years. So I was like, yeah, I can just tell them at home after Christmas. <laughs> I don't know why I wanted to stir shit up. <laughs> I tell them that I'm dating someone and they're like, their reaction was so, you know, I just realized now in saying this, that maybe there's some unpacked trauma there, but, um, yeah just my mom just you know cried so hard just so many tears and my dad would just tell me that like your children that you have which you know this is just I'm just dating somebody but he's (laughs) like your kids are gonna be the bastard grandchildren of the family and that that messed me up so much like I'm not gonna lie that really messed with me because it's like all all of my siblings they all got matched and blessed in the church none of them have kids but you know some are in some are out um but you know it was like me I'm the only one and so I'm like the failure and my parents actually telling me that they're gonna love my kids less if I have kids like that just like the, the whole purity, like blood lineage and blood lineage and the purity culture thing. It's just so damaging to relationships between parents and children, I think. Yeah. Like just on so many levels.
0: Wow. Oh. Yeah, that goes against all of their principles, doesn't it? That's not an ideal family in any way to not love your kids con- to love your kids conditionally and love your grandkids conditionally. That's total hypocrisy.
1: Of the theology that they they live by, quote unquote. Um, But I think unconditional love only works from bottom up. You know what I mean? Like God doesn't love us unconditionally. We Mm -hmm. have to fulfill like a shit ton of conditions in order for God to love us. Oh, love! It only works, you know, the other way around. We love God unconditionally. We love our parents unconditionally.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah that is so true. Yeah.
2: I think there was so much complete opposites like s- there was like s- things were spoken to like like unconditional love and yet everything was not that. <laughs> and it's just so like,
0: conditional. Yeah, you're it, right. It's you're just,
2: right. like it just like messes it warps with your entire like framework <laughs> or understanding like, of reality. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it really messes up like unconditional
0: love was conditional mind-body unity was total cognitive dissonance ideal Mm -hmm. families were totally dysfunctional families. Mm -hmm. yeah true love was like what even was true love just from the bottom up absence of self (laughs) so many things oh my god i kind of want to start closing it out but i want everybody to get a chance to say anything that they want to say before we finish, if that's all right, just with whatever you want to talk about. And yeah, thank you guys so much for uh, sharing about these patterns I didn't realize were patterns. Um, But I really think that they are rooted in purity culture and like the lack of agency and the lack of autonomy and the lack of communication with self that definitely stemmed from all these like really detrimental practices we were told to do, like the fasting and, and the cutting off of emotions and the compartmentalizing of desire that all really bled into some really dangerous things like that rejection re- reflex we were talking about, like with touch and intimacy or not recognizing assault when it's happening. I mean, there's so many things I didn't even think about.
2: I mean, I, I don't have anything necessarily off the top of my mind, but I just want to say thank you to everybody for sharing so openly and talking about such hard stuff. And I really
1: appreciate that. Um, I can start by referring again to Jen Kiaba's blog, Lessons on Leaving. She also has a podcast where she reads that out loud. I heart like full heartedly recommend that, especially the episode on first love trauma, which we touched on. Oh. Um, then, if you wanna learn about sex, <laughs> there's a really good YouTube channel called Sex Explanations by Dr. Doe. She's a sexologist and she's very endearing and she explains a lot of stuff. And yeah, it's, it's, it helped me a bunch. So maybe it can help you a lot too.
0: Yeah. While talking about first love trauma, I love that Jen wrote that article and pulled a lot of resources to make it very evidence-based summary of race. First love trauma is like your first experience with love and intimacy kind of is the blueprint for how you experience it later on in your life. So in the church, first loves were severely like cut off at the head, kind of decapitated. And so when you're not allowing your your blueprint to map out in a healthy way, the way that it should, it gets kind of deformed, like how you view intimacy, like you and me, Janae, like that rejection response. Mm -hmm. Pretty much it maps out your brain, like with your dopamine responses and your neuro your neurologic response to love so if let's say you fall in love with somebody and then immediately you get shunned and then all intimate responses are then underlined with anxiety and fear and instead of feeling love you feel pain and that's your blueprint and that's the first love trauma and so that's why it can be very hard to be intimate later on in life if you didn't have a successful like connection in the first place it's kind of what I gathered what first love trauma is does that sound Familiar, and it's it's not that it's permanent. There's neuroplasticity; all this stuff can be undone. It just puts you a little bit further back instead of starting like in a healthy developmental stage. It's like you start a couple steps back, and you can fix it. And that's why we're having these talks to 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 open ourselves up to intimacy and vulnerability and um, and communicating with ourselves about desires. So I'm really happy you brought that up, and definitely check out lessons on leaving by Jen Kiaba on first love trauma
3: i guess i would just say um again like purity and virginity are social constructs these are things that are made up um you don't have to relate to those things if you don't want to and like wherever you are on your journey i welcome people to kind of entertain the idea of exploring themselves that's not just sexually but like get into the things that you like get into the things you dislike like make opinions for yourself like you can always try new things you can always read new material like please utilize the resources uh, that we've brought up today and like your brain can change and you can have whatever kind of life you want essentially
0: that's beautiful yeah thank you kale figure out what you like it's okay and i i love that there's so many diverse people in this panel today
4: yeah i'll say
0: thank you Oh yeah, I, <laughs> just say thanks, I for- guys Yeah, thank you for opening up the talk with the uh, BIA. Oh my God, I would love <laughs> to go further into that. Like, how did yeah. they police you? Um, so many things. There's so many things. It.
4: Yes, we were definitely policed. So. <laughs> and I mean, I worked there too for you know because I I came back from my church program. And I didn't have I could have either lived at home or lived there and like worked in the dorms. So I was also in that position where, you know, and I feel really awful, like really, really awful about it. I mean, I didn't actively try to say anything that would be like damaging to anybody or even really have to have conversations with people at all. I was just like the college student living in the dorm that would check curfew. But even then, I like kind of feel, you know um yeah I just want to say to those those girls that you know if I ever made you feel like you were being policed or you don't have control over your body over your choices like I am so sorry and like you know there is there you know um there's a way to heal from all of that and yeah we're just all deconstructing this together right now and thank you too Renee, <laughs> I remember lot. <that.
0: laughs> yeah. Oh. Um. Vic- Victoria, I think we're all experiencing that—that that moral injury is what it's called—and mm. it's part of complex PTSD of being part of a destructive and harmful system. Mm. Um. And I'm not sure how to heal from it, but I definitely see you, and I've I've been there too, and I I feel the same for contributing to the like machine that is the unification church that just like pumps people out and yeah i hope we can like heal just by connecting that it happened and and we can and, and that's why we're here doing this putting this resource out to make up for you know we, we we've been part of the system and we see what we did and we really hope that we can all evolve like together and, and maybe this resource can help to do some good and just putting this podcast out there and validating that it's not just black and white it's really really complex so thank you for bringing that up and uh, yeah.
2: I also feel similarly and I am very sorry to anyone who I and at any point if I shamed or harmed you like I didn't know what I was doing and I really I am deeply sorry for anything that I've done in the past but I yeah it's hard to like even remember
0: yeah i mean <laughs> yeah. yeah just you guys bringing those words up is just bringing like a, a wave of flashbacks of all the times all the times i helped reinforce because it was called leadership and mm-hmm. it was called something really pretty being a good a opa or brother or sister but it was really destructive and i see now that you know maybe we were policing the wrong things we were policing relationships when maybe we should have been policing if they were safe um yeah, you know we, we, we just we, we thought we were doing the right thing, but if I'm confessing this or I'm just stating it and creating the language like maybe somebody in the church that's listening to this podcast will realize and maybe be able to stop the cycle while they're still in it, that you can do bad and you can do harm when you think you're doing good, when you think right, you're absolutely. leading.
2: You're re- reinforcing harmful messages and, and yeah, not re- the damage it's doing.
0: Yeah, and I think the most important thing is just, like, being in tune with your body and promoting autonomy for others. That's that's a very good thing to do. Um, and I, I, I think people are listening that are in the church because I have over 35 um, countries. There's people listening in over 35 countries, and that tells me that those are Moonies. <laughs> like, because it's like all these like Scandinavia, Iceland, Argentina, Brazil. I'm like, who the hell is listening to this over there? Like, oh, somebody's deconstructing and they might be alone. So, <laughs> so yeah, the words are getting out there for everybody. So you guys are part of some, maybe somebody's healing journey and they don't have the words yet. So thank you guys for sharing and being really, really raw and really honest about thank you. your journey. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I will... Um, Yeah, we'll close it here. And um, thank you for sharing sharing those patterns. There's so many things I have to reflect on from this talk that I didn't even realize uh, we're all connected. And yeah,
1: awesome. Thank you. Um, My boyfriend and my girlfriend both said that they're really touched by it, and they definitely will listen to all the episodes Um, um, that you put out. And um, yeah, and thank you I think it's yes. yeah it's it's very healing and connecting to have this panel of awesome people to share this with so I'm gonna grant myself a piece of cake now and then go to yes
4: <laughs> thank you Becca go get your cake yes. awesome <laughs>
1: good y'all day. guys take care and it was so nice to meet y'all happy to be in community yeah. with you yeah, yeah so yeah. so yeah. healing thank you Becca <laughs> good night
2: I
0: appreciate you guys. Yeah, thank you guys for joining. If uh, you're interested in talking next time, there's so, I mean, I just realized how many things we have in common. I really wanted to explore more with you, Kale, and with you, Victoria, as as a staff at BIA. Oh my gosh, that's like a whole different can of worms, especially with me and Janae. (laughs) I went to Gop with her, I went to BIA, and like that's a whole different type of control I would love to go into with just all the milieu control oh my gosh yeah yeah uh, if yeah we'll we'll see how this goes how you feel and um we'll be in touch thank you okay. thank you for
4: hosting all this um i just want to say a big thanks to you for like starting the podcast as well Um, oh because it's really changed my perspective even on things that I didn't realize it was still like you know that weren't fully deconstructed in my mind concepts about the the church and stuff so I just wanted to say thank you to you for that
0: yeah that's that's why I do this I just like had a lot to say when I started I didn't know anybody was going to listen but that means so much that it could help you because that means that all of all of it wasn't for nothing and we could end the cycle and that's Beautiful. I love that. Very, very cool. So,
4: yeah.